Welcome to the Determined Truth Podcast. Want the truth? You can't handle the truth. Where we aim to explore questions of truth, the scriptures, and what it means for the church today. Here are your hosts, Rob Dalrymple and Vinny Angelo. Hey, welcome in everyone. Hope everyone is doing well. Rob, how are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? Hey, I'm doing actually, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you're doing great. I know why you're doing great. You know why? Uh, no, why? Because yesterday your football team uh, climbed out of the cellar. They actually won a game. Well, actually, more significantly, Vinny, Man United won earlier in the morning. My, <laughs> grandfa- my great-grandfather was born in Manchester, England. So okay. we're big Man United fans. So in our last episode, we opened up doing a, uh, a conversation about some questions that have come in. So we did a little bit of a Q&A talk, and uh, we specifically focused on questions surrounding the law and the Old Testament. We talked about uh, those types of things. So we have a couple different types of questions today and thought that'd be fun to uh, ask. So like at the top of this, we just want to say, hey, if you if you have questions, send them in to Rob. Uh, and, and, you know, at some point we'll get to them because these kind of shows are are fun to break up uh, some of the other things we've done. But let's start with today. So, Rob, yeah, yeah absolutely. The first question. So our first question that has come in is, why should I believe in God and Jesus? You want to start with that one, Vinny? That's kind of it. Yeah, I'll, I'll solve that one for everyone. And then you can just put the podcast down and <laughs> Absolutely. it solves all your problems. No, my, uh, uh, We'll do a mic drop. Yeah, mic drop. Exactly. Uh, you know, yeah. And, and this is a huge question. Right? This could be like a whole 12 part series in and of itself. Right. So we're going to skim rocks on the top of this water. Um, I, I would say, why should we believe if, if I were to ask this, you know, whether it was in a, a classroom, I don't know, maybe you answer it differently in a, in a Sunday school classroom than you would on the street. So part of it is, and I don't know your, your philosophy on this, like, would you answer it differently if you're talking to a Christian who needs that apologetic as a way to strengthen their faith, or if you were dialoguing with maybe a skeptic? And so, you know, there, there might be a difference there. I don't, I don't just right off the bat before you even answer it, would you approach the question differently depending on who you're talking to? Well, definitely going to approach it differently. I think I'm going to arrive at the same answer though. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, for me, I mean, there's going to be a multiple answers, but there's one core answer that I would give and I didn't put it in the show notes. So you don't know what I'm going to say No. Yeah. Uh, there. Um, but yeah, I think I'd, I'd probably arrive at the same place. It's just a matter of how I got there. Yeah. Okay. So it, I would probably start a conversation uh, regardless of who I'm talking to, but it's going to be surrounded. It's, it's surrounding the concept of this is really the only way to make sense of the world mm-hmm. is with God and specifically uh, the the Trinitarian God of the Bible, Yahweh. And so I would say, why should I believe in God? And I, I would first turn to scripture and say, because he has revealed himself. Uh, Psalm 19 is, you know, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. In, in the New Testament, we would see Paul even making somewhat of an argument saying, hey, every, everyone knows uh, about God. It's, it's plain to them. They could see it. He's shown it to them. And it, That's Romans I, 1. For the, for yeah, the Romans 1. Yeah. And there, you know, I don't think either author, whether it's David or Paul, is, is talking about the saving knowledge of Jesus. Why should I believe in God? Well, he, he's revealed himself. So you might not know about Jesus. You might not know about how to be reconciled with God. You might not know the redemptive story about how God has worked through his people to redeem his creation. We should know that he exists uh, by what we see around us. So like, and, and that might seem circular. Uh, and, and yeah, I, I was just going to push that. back a little bit on that. Mm-hmm. Although I think I kind of affirm what you'd have to say. If we appeal to scripture and say God's revealed himself in scripture, then I think, A, what about the Muslim who says God's revealed himself in the Quran? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What's the difference there? And secondly, I think we have another issue that we're going to take take on in a in an upcoming episode of, of Q and A, 
we have a bunch of questions on, well, how do I even know what the Bible means? Mm -hmm. And so it's like, well, God's revealed himself in the Bible, but okay, but the Jehovah's Witnesses have a view of the Bible and the Mormons have a view in the Bible and Christians have a view of the Bible. How do we know which, which view is even there? So I'd be a little bit cautious about saying, well, the Bible is revealed God or God's been revealed to us through the Bible and therefore fundamental base of our belief. And I'm not saying that you were saying that, mm -hmm. um, but uh, going from that, and I think your point's actually a good one there was saying, uh, but what we have revealed in the scriptures is that makes sense of the world, that God's made himself known and it makes sense of the world. And that, I think that's a good point. Yeah. It wasn't even there. I, any, and I'm going to throw a $5 word out that I'll define. If, if you've ever studied philosophy or anything, there's a fancy word called epistemology. Mm -hmm. And it just means how we, it's the source of knowledge. Like, and, and everyone has a, a beginning source of knowledge yeah. or a, a starting point. And so ultimately, anything that anyone believes, any, anyone's worldview, regardless of who they are, is circular at some point. Mm -hmm. and, and so, yeah, it has yeah. to be because it, 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 we, yeah, yeah we, we, no one starts in a vacuum. Every, everyone starts with something outside of themselves that they believe. Yeah. Uh, and so even the person who says, I can only affirm what science, you know, uh, teaches, well, like there's a starting point there. <laughs> and so you're, you're affirming the science, right? It's circular reasoning at some point. So yeah. everyone is going to arrive at that circle. And so on my end, I'm just okay with saying, yeah, like th mm -hmm. this is what I believe in this because I believe God revealed it. And it, that's not the only, it's not the bumper sticker. God said it, I believe it. So that settles it, which I actually right. think is a terrible yeah. mantra It's horrible. <laughs> because what does it matter what I believe in there? <laughs> it's like, God said it. Uh, yeah. And that, that actually gets in probably to another question that we'll uh, have in a second in terms of individualism. Yeah. But, but ultimately I would say like, it starts with because God has revealed himself. That's why I should believe in him. Yeah, uh, so yeah. before, before I even get to Jesus, I don't know, like how, how much yeah, no, start on that topic. Yeah. I agree. What I would say ultimately at some point in time would be because it's the truth, right? Why? And I think that's what you're kind of getting at anyway. Mm -hmm. Also, why should I believe in God and Jesus? Because it's the truth. And that, and I think, by the way, for Christians, that really is a significant statement because you don't believe in God or Jesus because he makes you happy or because what happens mm -hmm. when you're not happy? Uh, I, I'm going to believe in God because he did this for me. Well, what happens when he doesn't answer another prayer for you? And a lot of people's faith is built upon, well, God has evidenced himself because he did this in my life. Mm -hmm. And somebody else goes, well, he's never done anything like that in my life. I guess God doesn't care about me. But the reality is, is that he's the truth. I mean, he's Lord. We said in the previous podcast, you know, that Jesus is Lord, is the gospel. That's where it begins and ends with this definition. He is Lord. And the answer is he's Lord and I'm not. And so I don't, I don't get to make the rules. He's Lord. And that, that's the truth. Now, someone might say, well, how do you know it's the truth? And I think, you know, some of the things that you're pointing out, well, the reality is uh, it makes sense of the world, makes sense of creation, uh, mm -hmm. the evidence uh, that you point out, you know, Psalm 19 or Romans chapter one, that God's divine nature has been shown what, what he has made, the intelligence within creation, the intelligence of DNA, that there must be an intelligent designer, problem of evil suggests that there, there is evil in this world. The only way we can know mm -hmm. that there's evil in this world is that there's a, a good behind it, that that's the source of good by which we can define what evil is. So we can go, and maybe we'll have an episode where we discuss kind of these more, discuss this more arguments of defending mm -hmm. the existence of God. Mm -hmm. um, but I'd simply say, yeah, he's the truth. Uh, and I think that's significant. So any, any thoughts you have on that? Well, yeah, and, and even there, um, I, I know as someone who, like my first real theological passion was probably the realm of apologetics. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I know that you, you had a background there mm -hmm. uh, as well. And uh, my, my first introduction to apologetics, it was very helpful for me because it was answering questions that I had as, right. as a young person who was raised in the church and then 
as a, as a young adult, I kind of had to figure out what do I actually believe? And so I went through these struggling periods. And so the apologetics were very helpful in terms of cementing some things I believe. But as I started then getting more consistent in my theological beliefs and, and saying, okay, my theology ought to inform my apologetic and not the other way around. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, I started realizing, oh, a lot of the apologetic arguments are actually, they're not the best way to go about things because they're, they rely on evidence. And so, uh, and popularly, I think this is what we're used to. If, if, if you've been around Christian subculture at all in the last 20 years, you're familiar with something like the case for Christ. Right. Uh, and, and that model of apologetic and there's great stuff that's to be found in there and, and wonderful scholars. And I know that, you know, you had firsthand encounters with some of those guys who have contributed and like great things that happen there. However, once we make the evidence, the thing that determines if something is true and so, okay, we could determine that God is true because of this evidence. Well, then God is not our ultimate authority evidences. And, and my view of that evidence is. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Ultimately. Yeah. It's a very good point. Ultimately we made ourselves into God because we said, you know, I think that's true that Jesus rose from the dead or that what da, 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 and therefore God, da, God definitely exists. And yeah, it's a good point. Uh, and that's definitely point. like a product of the enlightenment and modernistic mm -hmm. thinking, which says right. uh, it, rather than the pre-modern world that says, Hey, the gods reveal knowledge to us. You have modernism and the enlightenment that says, hey, there, there's still truth out there, but guess what? By reason and by our own abilities, yeah. we can figure what this is. Yeah. And, and so now I, am, I, I have this autonomous being. I could bypass the gods to find out what truth is. And it's right. just it's putting yourself in the place of God. So one, maybe one simple apologetic argument I would give for, the, for, for tonight's podcast is to say, look, we know that there is truth because it's undeniable. And what we mean by that is no one can say there's no such thing as truth. Because as soon as someone says there's no such thing as truth, then we ask the question, is that true? Yeah. Do you believe that? That's yeah, yeah. Is, that, true? is yeah. that really true? And it's it's well, a self-defeating argument. It's a self-defeating yeah. statement. So a self-defeating statement is one that can't be uttered because ultimately it's, it's false if it's true. So we know that there must be truth because it's undeniable. You can't say that there is no truth. But the only way we can know what truth is, is if there's a source of truth, an absolute source that we can determine based on that absolute source, whether this is true or whether that's false. Now, obviously, we don't always have the knowledge to know from that, you know, God's divine nature, whatever it might, might be. But if the truth isn't an absolute, if there isn't an absolute source of truth, then we can never have an absolute truth come from it, a you know, law of cause and effect type of thing, right? And then the reality becomes, well, truth isn't something that's created. So, so the laws of science and creation and, you know, uh, um, Big Bang, whatever you want to say, that can't be the source of where truth came from. It couldn't just be mm -hmm. something that, that was created. It has to be some absolute source that by, by its very nature is beyond space, time, and matter. And, it, and since truth is personal, it's knowledge-based, it can't be part of the created universe. The reality of that must be there must be an intelligent being out there that is absolute and the source of truth. And we start from there. We call it God, Joe, Mary, Tom, whatever it might be. We know something or someone is out there. And ultimately, I'd say you really have three options. Ultimately, the the Christian God, the Jewish God, which ultimately I think is similar, if not the same, in the sense that what, what we're claiming is that Yahweh mm -hmm. of the Old Testament is indeed Jesus of the New Testament, uh, or, these, or the Muslim God, and that becomes the starting point now. So, okay, we know, we know that there is uh, at least God. Even right there, I think this actually makes a really good bridge into the next part. Why should I believe in Jesus? And there's definitely the you know historical mm. reasons and whatnot. Mm. But let's actually stick from a yeah. uh, from a deity standpoint. Uh, you know, a, a truly theological doctrine of God standpoint. The what we would not argue for, and we haven't had this conversation. So so far, we're on the yeah. same page. We're agreeing on everything. Uh, 
we would not argue that there's a generic deity out there Correct. and we just call it Yahweh. Our starting point is saying, no, like, why should I believe in God? Because God, the Trinitarian covenantal God of Israel has revealed himself as the true God. Yeah, absolutely. And, and for me, okay, well, we know from creation that there must be a God who caused the beginning of creation. We know from philosophy that there must be a God as a source of truth. And not, you know, all right, we ha I had all these arguments, right? Wrote mm -hmm. thesis on this. And now I look and go, you know, actually, I think what's far more compelling is the beauty of the Christian story. Mm -hmm. The Christian story, the fact that God entered this creation so much, he loved this creation so much and us so much that he entered it in order to fix our mess and redeem us from our mess. And this Christian story of, the, of this love, this cosmic love story and the contrast between the way the world does power and the way even other gods in other, sto in other stories, the way they do power, uh, manipulation, war, domination, et cetera, and the way God does power. And the way God does power is through love and submission. I'm like, that actually makes sense to the world. That actually makes peace in this world and justice in this world. And so all of a sudden you begin looking at this biblical story and going, hey, this story is the one that makes sense. And that, that's one of the key things I would say today. Well, and in light of that, a Trinitarian God only yes. makes sense then in the story because the, the Christian, the Jew and the Muslim. So in, in you're putting the, the monotheistic religions there because a, a polytheistic religion or deity just doesn't work. Right. <laughs> right? Yeah. So polytheism if you look is at the, many gods. Yeah. Yes. So if, if you look at the monotheistic religions, the, the beliefs that only one God exists, what you then have is the difference between the, the Jew, the Muslim and the Christian is that, all three of us would be monotheists. We only believe that there's only one God exists. However, the Muslim and the Jew are both Unitarians. They, they believe that that one God is one person, where the Christian tradition would say, no, that the one God is three persons right. and eternally three persons. And so this is why where all three of these people or you know people groups would agree that God is loving. God as love only yeah. really makes sense in a Trinitarian model because if God is eternal, there's never a time he hasn't existed. How does he demonstrate his God or his love in eternity past? That only makes sense in a Trinitarian being yeah, yeah. in which Father, Son, and Holy Spirit can demonstrate their mutual love. Yeah, yeah. Let me just go ahead and make sure that the listeners understand exactly what, what it is that you just said because it's brilliant. <laughs> it's amazing. Brilliant. That's the first time that word's yeah. ever yeah. been used for me. And, <laughs> and it's that love demands someone else to love. And if God is love, but he exists by himself, there's no son, Holy Spirit, et cetera, to love, then God by necessity has to create mm -hmm. so that he can have beings to love. Whereas if God's a trinity, Father, Son, Spirit, they live in existence eternally in a loving relationship towards one another, then creation is not a necessity. But as soon as we say that God must by necessity create, we're actually showing that's a weakness, there's a limitation to God that he must by very nature create, create so that he can have someone to love. No, he doesn't have to have someone to love to create. He already exists in a loving eternal relationship with, with one another. Well, and I've, I've literally heard Christian pastors teach that where, where they're trying to teach mm. on the attribute of God's love. And they'll say, Hey, he had to create us because he, he's a God of love. He has to have an object of his love. And, that, and it, so now it's like, we're on the hook to be the good recipients of God's love. And it, it just, I mean, there's so many errors yeah. with that. One of them being just a terrible Trinitarian theology is like starting with the doctrine of God. And then it's like, so God has this need that's unmet. Right, and right. now his finite creature is going to be the one to meet this need for an infinite God. Like there's just a, a ton of issues that, yeah. that, that work Let out there. Let me mention but. one more thing before we move on to the next question. That is this. If we base our belief in the existence of God on something else, like what God did for me, how he answered my prayer there, you know, 
the problem that becomes what happens when he doesn't answer a prayer next time or mm -hmm. what happens when something catastrophic happens and you lose your job, you lose your house, whatever it might be. Uh, you have a Job experience, right? You lose everything. Mm -hmm. um, it becomes a weak uh, basis. If, however, the gospel really is, and, and my belief is predicated on who Jesus Christ is and his revelation of himself as eternally God and love for us, his life, death, and resurrection for our salvation and for the redemption of creation. I, I was just interviewed by, uh, what is it, the Faith Historical Society, whatever, on the book of Revelation, and they were asking me about my story when it comes to believe in the end times and things that I, I believe when I was young. And I talked about the crisis I had when none of those things were happening. And, you know, I used to believe that all these things were going to happen in the 1980s, and they didn't happen. And, and I said, well, did it cause you to lose faith when none of those things came true? And you began to realize, hey, this is all a farce. And, and my response was no, because God in his grace helped me to recognize the fact that my faith was built on who he was mm -hmm. and not some particular conviction of what the end times are going to be like, or not some particular conviction of God always answers my prayer. or God always gives wealth and prosperity to those who love him. And when those things don't happen, I, I didn't lose my faith because my faith wasn't based upon my view of the end times. It was based upon my faith, my, my conviction of who Jesus Christ was. Absolutely. So, Hey, let's move on to the second one. The second question mm -hmm. someone asks is this, uh, and this is a big one. So we only spent 17 minutes on that question. So we should <laughs> handle this one like three minutes. Uh, yeah, right. I have the, the following question with regard to Matthew 7, 1 through 23, 21 through 23. It says, not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who actually do the will of my father who is in heaven. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, uh, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name, perform any miracles in your name? I'll reply to them, I never knew you. Get away from me, uh, you who break God's laws. So mm -hmm. the question that's being asked is this, is how do we know what the will of God is? So Jesus himself again says, uh, those who enter the kingdom of God will be those who actually do the will of my father who is in heaven. And so how do I know what God's will is? And how does anyone know what God's will is? So wh where would you start with that one, Vinny? Yeah, this is a tough one. And this is one I've definitely, you know, we just, you gave me the questions. We haven't yeah. dialogued at all about where we land on these things. So this is one that I've definitely worked, been working through mm -hmm. for years now. <laughs> Uh, and, and it seems to be different camps in terms of how people understand what the will of God is and how it's been revealed. I, where I think I'm comfortable is saying God seems to have, he has his will, you know, singularly, but he, dec there's things that he reveals and there's things that he does not. And, and so there's different, you know, in different traditions, there's different ways of uh, describing that, whether it's a revealed will and a hidden will or a sovereign, sovereign will and all, all these different ways of saying it. I think that's the way I make sense of scripture uh, in terms of, you know, God works all things after the counsel of his will. Uh, what's Romans uh, 8, 28. Uh, he, he works together all things for those who are called, you know, according to his purpose. Yeah. And so it, it, it seems to be like there are things that he definitely the, you know, reveals that we do, you know, like, this is the way I am pleased, but then there's things that just work out that we don't know. So like you mentioned the Job experience, like there's an aspect of God's will involved in that, that Job had no clue what was happening there. Yeah, good point. And, and that could go into some other interpretive yeah, yeah. presuppositions so we got in a terms whole bunch of, of different. Oh yeah. Yeah. Take yeah. More than two or three minutes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Let me give two comments at the beginning before we go any, in any kind of depth at all. The first thing to note is the fact that when people ask this kind of question and very common, and this isn't a bashful the individual at all, it's just, it's just human nature. We're probably asking the question of like, what's God's will for my life? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But the biblical question here is uh, what is God's will in terms of his will for creation, uh, redemption and restoration and, and humanity's role within that. 
And so, and, and very often the biblical story is, is written from a corporate perspective. You know, our father who art in heaven, give us this, right? Instead of, mm -hmm. you know, my father who is in heaven, it's corporate and not individualistic. So, and there are these two aspects of the, of the question. So what's God's will in totality, this large picture, and then what's God's will for my individual life? The second thing that we have going on behind the question is the age-old battle. I say age-old battle because it's from the Enlightenment battle, Reformation battle. It's a, Pro it's a Protestant battle. And that is those who say God's will is sovereign and God's holy and, and can't be unaltered. And, the other, and those who say human freedom, human freedom, human freedom. Mm -hmm. And we find these clashing. You know, so we say, mm -hmm. oh, did God choose you for salvation and you have no role in it at all? And others say, no, scripture clearly says, choose you this day whom you will serve. And so uh, if you repent, if you confess, so, uh, well, which one is it? And the answer is, well, it's both, right? I mean, mm -hmm. the, the reality is God is totally sovereign and, and in control of all things. And at the same time, he's given man he, this, this freedom. So when it comes to the, the God's will, I think what, those are clashing again, right? Well, you know, can God's will be broke? I mean, if it's God's will, it's going to be done. So how do I know what God's will is? So I, I do that. As though there's this, there's this unalterable law that I need to walk and make sure I'm walking in accordance with. When I no, it's not that simple. God's actually much more. The old adage, I, I ask these questions, and people in my youth group ask these questions when we grew up. And, is there one woman that God wants me to marry? And if mm -hmm. I marry someone else, I've married the wrong person. It's like no, God, God's God's like, hey, here's this, here's the deal. You know, um, I, I got this whole. The parameters here kind of, you know, I would encourage you to marry someone in the faith and that you can encourage one another and strengthen one another and et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, if you marry somebody interracially back in the day, right in America, it was against the law to do that. It's like, well, you got to recognize that if you do that, there's going to be these conflicts, it's going to be problematic. The kids are going to have problems. Are you ready to handle that? And so I think there are these permissibility that God allows us to have when it comes to some of, some of these things also. Uh, I would begin by saying, you know, what's God's will? Well, Micah 6, 8, he has shown you, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of thee, but to do justice and love mercy and to walk humbly with our God. Uh, Romans 12, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, acceptable mm -hmm. and pleasing to God. There's certain commands in scripture that become, hey, this is what God wants me to do. And Acts, you know, Philippians 2, consider others better than yourselves. The, the podcast that we did on what's the greatest commandment, I think there's your answer. It's to love the Lord your God and to love your neighbor as yourself. And that's going to manifest itself in a lot of different ways and a lot of different circumstances. But our job and God's will for our life is, it begins at least there to say, yeah, make uh, God known by loving him and loving one another. So I'll add yeah. some more things to it, but any thoughts you might have here. Yeah, no, and, and I don't think I, I think I would affirm most of, you know, what we're saying. And, and part of it is just coming out from different perspectives and yes. other theological ideas. Right. So it, it like, these are all dominoes that knock over. Um, I, I think for me, I definitely am someone who feels like I, I, I'm totally okay with saying, Hey, God is completely sovereign. And like you see throughout the biblical story, God chooses whom he chooses. And, and you know, like he has his hand on that. Yeah. I, I think uh, one thing that um, folks, and especially in the reform camp, which is yeah. where I'm at, they right. make a mistake right. is that they only want to focus on the the sovereignty of god and the actions of god right. and then so they ignore all those things well what happens when it seems like people are involved in this as well <laughs> like yeah. there's so many passages where a command is giving to a people where it seems like someone is willing something in themselves and that becomes the conflict of how does this work together for me this, there's a term that i heard years ago called a compatibilism which is a, a way to mm -hmm. uh i think it's kind of pulling off of 
uh, J.I. Packer's, he calls it an intimity in, uh, hmm. in uh, knowing God, where it's like, it seems like it's a contradiction, like this, this idea of, you know, God's freedom versus human freedom, but it actually isn't, it, it works together. And it's in this, you know, other people will call it uh, compatibilism where it says, what do you do? Uh, and I think one of the clearest examples of this is like a Genesis 50, 20. So the last chapter of Genesis, you know, Joseph is in, uh, in, in total, you know, he, he's the right-hand man in Egypt. He's kept his brothers and father alive. Well, dad died. The brothers come before him. And they're like, okay, great. They, you know, Joseph kept us alive this whole time because dad was here, but now dad's gone. He's going to do us in, and they're begging for their life. And, and Joseph's response is, uh, and it depends on the translation you read, but it's, hey, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Right. And regardless of the translation says meant or intended or determined, it, it, they're paralleled mm -hmm. phrases. Like the, the thing that happened here is the thing that God intended to happen. Oftentimes when it's preached, it's preached as what you meant for evil, God used for good. Mm -hmm. But that's not what the text says. And, and it, it, I'm not just proof texting mm -hmm. like as sure. this is one passage. I think there's a number of you know instances where this happens where God says, hey, guess what? Like, you know, Babylon, you're going to go and, you know, I, I'm going to use I'm going to send them to you uh, to yep. Judah in order to enact a punishment. And guess what? Then I'm going to judge them for, uh, you know, acting Being against my harsh. children. Yeah. Yeah. W which one is it? You know, how, how could they get busted for something that you decreed that they do? Yeah. And this is where it, it seems to be that. God has this freedom in which he intends things to happen, or, you know, his own freedom in which he intends things to happen. But the thing that happened is still happening by the will of the person themselves. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't know how that works. It's just, this is what you seem to see uh, over and over. And, and so even from my perspective, I look at how the world works and I'm perfectly comfortable saying, Hey, like, like COVID or whatever, this is happening by the, the decree of God in some mm -hmm. way, but people are absolutely 100% responsible for whatever they're responsible for right. as well. Uh, right. And it's not like a 50, 50 thing. It's like, I don't know how this works. And it, it would make sense that it would be something that is unique because you don't, you can't compare it. It was like this. No, it's not like anything else. Cause there's only one God who exists. Uh, and so I, I wouldn't compare it against anything else. It's just, this is just the way it is. Uh, so in my finite mind, that's, that's how I reconcile those sorts of things. Okay. Interesting. Let me, let me address the first, the first of the points going back for a second. You know, what is God's will? And the answer is, well, God's will is to, to dwell within this creation, mm -hmm. right? The Genesis 1, Genesis 2 account is kind of describing God as creating a, a world and a universe for his temple presence to exist within. And then that presence of God is going to be manifested through humanity. I'm, he's going to make man, humanity in his image. And we're going to bear his image, meaning we're going to make him known. You want to know what God looks like? The answer is watch us because we act, live, and breathe and do things as God himself, mm -hmm. reflecting who he is. And so this is God's sovereign will on this cosmic schedule, uh, cosmic scale. Obviously, sin came in the middle of that and, and kind of wrecked that. But the answer is the biblical story is kind of, what, let's, let's, how do we restore that? How, we, how does God restore his presence to his, to his creation, or better said, how does God restore his creation to his presence? And that's mm -hmm. the role of humanity. And so the will mm -hmm. of God is to manifest the kingdom. I think that's what Jesus is getting at in Matthew 7, to make the kingdom of God known mm -hmm. by manifesting who God is to his creation. Now, obviously, that includes the fact that we have to make God known to one another because humanity has, doesn't know God either. When it comes to our personal will of God, you know, what is God calling me to do? I think God does definitely call individuals to do certain things or to stop doing this, you know. When we get ordained for ministry, we say, God has called you. Mm -hmm. uh, when a church calls a pastor, this is, I'm reformed too, right? This is Presbyterian language. Mm -hmm. 
when God uh, calls a pastor to the church and, and the church has to vote to decide whether or not that's the, indeed the person that God has called to this community. And so we have this call uh, language. Now, I think God might call you also and individuals to specific acts or specific deeds. And God might ask you, hey, I want you to go speak to that individual right now and, and be a voice of comfort and, and encourage. Whoa, where'd that come from? I think God does intervene like that and on individual basis and stuff like that. Sometimes people say, you know, well, what is God's will for my life when it comes to going mm -hmm. to college? And the answer is, well, I don't think he necessarily is going to say you can go here or here or here, um, but, or you can't go there or there or there. God's and I think what kind of what you're getting at a little bit, and I would say is God is big enough that he can deal with our um, frailty and fallibility and, and humanity. Mm -hmm. now, sometimes we, we make God like, oh, well, God can't be uh, 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 like overrun by our will. It's like, actually, mm -hmm. you know, what? he's big enough to say, you know what, I'm going to let you do that to now. If that's what you want to do, go ahead. That's fine. That's actually, he, he's sovereign enough to allow humanity to act and do what humanity wants. Now, of course, sometimes if it's sinful or wrong, he's not, he's not um, willing that or desiring that. That's simply something that we did uh, against his desire, but he allows it. Obviously the garden of Eden is a perfect illustration of that. He allows it because he's not so, so small. Say, so, you know, I can't make people actually undermine my will. No way. I can't let them do that. Like, no, actually he can let them do that. It's like allowing your kids to go to a, a candy store and say, I'm going to give you a dollar and you can buy any of the candies you want. Well, not that one. You know, not that. It's like, no, actually, I'm going to allow you to buy any candies that you want. Um, so when it comes to individual, then uh, I think God does speak to us. God does call us. God does lean on us and, and say, hey, I want you to go ahead and go in this career path. But we have the freedom to follow that or not follow that. I think God calls us to do something in the particular moment there. And I think that pro and I think that's what the person's asking now. So mm -hmm. the, the larger question, what's the will of God? And that is to manifest his kingdom. Um, what about the, What about knowing God's will for my individual life? Then I think, well, we know God's will for our individual life. A, it's not some um, rigid thing that's only yes, it's only this, it's only one path. There are multiple paths that God might indeed permit you to go on. But I think there's a lot of things that we could say now. How do you discern that? Well, you discern that through prayer. Um, I think you discern that through fasting. It's mm -hmm. amazing, by the way, how you go on a, a prolonged fast and you realize um, God is far more present and speaking to you far more than you ever realized because now that fasting, that time of fasting has just prepared you to hear his voice. I think we hear that voice through godly counsel. Uh, I think we hear that voice through scriptures. The scriptures reveals the will of God and, and the work of God in, in our lives. And so I think uh, that's, that's significant. And I think, of course, the other things will be, hey, God has gifted you. He's called you to do this. He has not gifted me with music. So he's not called me to be, you know, a, a worship pastor. Nah, not going to happen. But he might have called you to do that because you are gifted with that. If someone says, I think I'm called to be a teacher. Well, maybe you should go teach one time and then let people in the, in the classroom give you feedback. Um, and people in the classroom, you know, um, uh, oh, everyone thought I was great. They always say that when you walk out of the classroom, they're just being nice, but get some close trusted friends who are really going to speak the truth to you. Like, dude, you can't teach, you know, I'm sorry. I don't know what you're doing there, but that was, I was hoping that this plane was going to land like an hour and a half before it did. So we, we learn from uh, experiences and counsel and acting upon it. Um, what's, our, what's your desire? What's your heart? I think there's a number of things that we can do then to discern God's individual will for me in a particular situation. Yeah. And, and I think what's important to note as well, uh, wherever you're at on the theological level. Mm -hmm. So if you're, if, like, and we'll just put a couple uh, like 
stereotypical ideas out there. So if you're on the reform side or the Armenian side, we'll just say that. And it's, it's, there's, there's a bigger spectrum. It's, I don't even know if it's just yeah. a spectrum. It's more of a circular, circular. Yeah. Some definitions there. yeah. Uh, so if, if, let's say that if you're more on the side of God is completely sovereign or no humans have all the freedom wherever you're at. And, and I would encourage this to my reform friends who might be more on the God or sovereign side of things, whatever God knows and wills, like I'm not privy to that information outside of what he has decreed that, you know, things like that, what you've said, I function as if I have freedom. And so what college do I go to? Well, I like, I, I seek wisdom on that. Right. I, I don't just say, well, whatever's going to happen is going to happen. I'm not fatalistic about it. I live as though I have that freedom to make those choices. Right. And, and, it, and it's because that's what I see in the scriptures. The people have the freedom and they're responsible for what they're called for. And God ultimately is decreeing and doing whatever he's doing on his end. And so I just have to trust that that's happening. I'm responsible for what I've been given. And I think that's, that's ultimately the way you live. And then when you're looking at something like a Matthew seven, this is wrapping up the sermon on the Mount, mm -hmm, <laughs> you know? Exactly. And so even, even like, you know, looking at the, the entire context there is okay. Well, you know, what does it mean to do the will of the Lord? Well, what did he just teach for seven exactly. chapters? It's, it's about six, the kingdom. Exactly. Yeah, ex exactly. So what, what does it mean to live a life that's marked by the Beatitudes? What does it yeah. mean to live a life in which I'm hungering, hungering and thirsting for righteousness uh, and loving my neighbor, loving my enemies, right? And loving my neighbors and, uh, you know, living out a golden rule, if you want to call it that, and uh, not being judgmental, but I am also wise in terms of discerning false prophets. This is what it means to live the will of God. Right. Yeah. 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 There's so many things that we can go on, go in there. So if you're listening and our answers to some of these questions, maybe as has aroused other questions in your mind mm -hmm. or whatever. Again, send them in, let us know what they are so we can address them. Uh, one of the things that happens is we're thinking back and forth and think, okay, we covered it all and don't realize, oh, we just actually created another question or we didn't answer that one clear enough or, or whatever it might be. So send it in. You can uh, Facebook message me. You can go to the Determined Truth. You can go oh. to the Determined Truth webpage and go to the Contact Me tab and fill that out. Some of you have my email address. You can email me or Vinny, let us know so we can bring this up on future podcasts. All right, let's yeah. go to the last question, which is a real okay. easy one. <laughs> <laughs> so here, here, I'll ask it to you. you okay, yeah, you've yeah, been yeah. working on this a lot lately. So yeah. where are the modern day prophets and why aren't they speaking out loudly about all of the idol worship and rebellion against God in today's, in today's societies? Yeah, this one just is going to take a while uh, to really answer. Um, number one, I would say, well, let's do this. Can you define what a prophet is? So yeah, we, yeah. we, we very, did an episode good. on this when we talked about, yep. uh, reading revelation yep. and we, one of the weeks we spent on a prophet. So what is a prophet? Yeah, very good. A prophet who is someone who speaks the word of God with authority to the people of the day. So don't think of prophets as someone's forecasting or predicting the future. They may be doing that also, but they're predicting the future only in the sense of, because you're not listening to the word of God, God's going to do this. Uh, because you are listening to the word of God, God's going to do this. Now, modern day world, I would say, I don't know that those prophets exist that are going to go to that. Oh, hey, because you're obeying the word of God, he's going to bless you. I don't think that kind of prophet is existing today. I think what we have in the scriptures is, in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, Paul talks about spiritual gifts. And he says the greatest of the spiritual gifts is apostleship, but there aren't any today. The second one is prophets. And in 1 Corinthians 14, he says, eagerly, chapter 14, verse 1, eagerly desire the greater gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. 
So there you go. Ah, prophecy is the greatest of the spiritual gifts that's around today. And it's exhorting people through the word of God in accordance with God's word or God's will. And so the first thing I'd say is all pastors are supposed to be prophetic at some point in time. Now, they may not have the gift of prophecy per se, but they should still be prophetic. In other words, they're taking the word of in other words, a sermon can't be or shouldn't be just this is what the Bible says. Go home. Good luck. What a sermon does ultimately, and I'm not sure it's the best genre, but that's another conversation for another day. What a sermon should do ultimately is say, here's what the word of God is. And even a good teacher does. Here's what the word of God is. And here are some ways to think about it in terms of our present day and our present life. Or, hey, let's have a conversation. What do you think about this? Right? What does it mean to say, blessed are those who are persecuted when we're not persecuted here in the West? And all of a sudden, and asking those kind of questions. So pastors are the ones who speak the word of God prophetically. The problem with this, if you start thinking about biblical prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Hosea, whatever, you start thinking about these guys, and you're like, well, in their context and in their day, nobody liked them. Mm -hmm. I mean, they were just not well-received by, by almost anybody. Jesus, yeah, they crucified him. Stephen, yeah, they stoned him to death. Okay, And you start thinking, well, I think one of the things that's happening is, is, you know, 2 Timothy says that we gather around ourselves a great number, in the last days, we'll gather around ourselves a great number of teachers that say what our itching ears want to hear. We'll turn ears away from the truth and turn towards myths. We think, of course, of, well, we're the good people. So the prophets are clearly not speaking anything bad to us. And I'm thinking, well, you know, every person the prophets spoke to thought they were the good people. And that's why the prophets were all wrong. So that's one thing I think we need to stop and go, yeah, that's, well, maybe the prophets are the ones who are saying this, and I don't want to hear it. Because that's what prophets did. Um, they called the church, the people of God, to account, and we don't really like what they're saying. Uh, so I think there are a lot of prophets out there, but I don't know that we're listening to a lot of them. Uh, we don't tune into them. We don't read their stuff because, no, no, you're too radical, you're, you know, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I'll, I'll stop there and let you interject some thoughts there. I got a lot more stuff. Yeah, no, that's good. So I, I would actually have a question for you. Yeah. How, if, if the prophet of the Old Testament is someone who is, uh, you know, they're, they're covenant enforcers, they're calling the people of God to repentance. So right off the bat, we need to dispel a misnomer that says to be a prophet means to go out and critique culture. Like that's right. not what a yes, prophet's going to do. Absolutely. So it's speaking to God's covenantal people, which is going to be the church. That's right. Uh, the, the gift of prophecy then like I said, not future telling events, but to be a prophet, to speak like a prophet, it's a spiritual gift and spiritual gifts are given to the church. Uh, how would we even going out identifying those voices? That, that would be one of them. So like someone like, mm. like yeah. from, even from yeah. a popular standpoint, someone who needs to be critiqued, someone like a, a Benny Hinn, right? Like an extravagant example, someone who goes out like a lone wolf, they have their own ministry. They're not associated with a church. They have their own little thing and they're, they're doing prophets, prophecy stuff yeah. by nature, just by nature of their ministry. Could we say, Hey, you know, that that's probably not legit just because of how it's functioning. It's not a gift for the church. This is a, you know, not to mention all the plethora of issues yeah. that he would have in his ministry, you know, and, and that sort of thing. But we could say, okay, that just kind of disqualifies it as being something legit to look for. Anna, would you, would you agree with that? Or what do you think? Yeah. So I, I think that the barometer, this becomes a circular thing that we talked about a little bit at the beginning, the barometer by which we test everything is ultimately, are they magnifying Christ, making Christ known and exalting Christ? And then I'd say, and the kingdom, 
And of course, now to know that, we need to know Christ and the kingdom. And that's some of the problem, right? The number one topic of Jesus in the Gospels is the kingdom of God. Yet most Christians can't define the kingdom of God at all. Okay, that's like some heavenly spiritual thing that someday is going to come down to the earth. Uh, no, uh, maybe a little bit. So we need to understand what the kingdom of God is. And the kingdom of God actually is the kingdom of justice and equity, um, restoration of creation, over, overcoming uh, war and strife and hardship and deceit and poverty, etc. And in doing so, we make Christ known, this God of love known. And so that, so we have to unpack all that and say, okay, that's our barometer. Now, the, the point then is, is prophets aren't, we don't like their message because prophets don't speak to our comforts. Prophets ultimately make us uncomfortable. They were radicals and they were radicals in their love for God and their, in their call uh, to humility and, and uh, concern for the sake of the other. And, you know, what got Jesus in trouble with the Jewish people of his day? Well, we discussed this on our podcast with, with, with what's the greatest commandment? Twofold. Number one, he said he was actually the Lord your God that you were supposed to love. And two, he was saying, and you're supposed to love everyone, not just the people within your own group. And all of a sudden we realized, yeah, I'm not sure we're doing that a whole lot. I mean, one look on Facebook, you know, we can just trump with this one all the time, but one look on Facebook and the way Christians behave, and especially the way Christians are condemning culture, which I think is an excellent point that you brought up. Yeah, that's actually not what scripture, scripture isn't critiquing culture, it's critiquing the church. Mm -hmm. And are we transforming culture through our conduct and behavior and through our love? You know, and if you were to ask, what do people think of Christians out there in the world? They probably wouldn't say, top of the list, love. They probably mm -hmm. wouldn't say, care for everyone else. No, they'd say judgmental and arrogant and self-righteous, et cetera. The next thing to be aware of with prophets is what they're saying doesn't seem to, to fit with what we know. Now, it doesn't seem to fit with what we like, right? So that's, that's one thing we have to be careful about. But also, like you look at Jeremiah, he prophesied for 40 years about this doom that's coming upon the people of Israel because you have left the covenant of God. What are you talking about? We go to church, we go, we have sacrifice, we do, we do all mm -hmm. these things. And he's like, nope, you guys are not, not in line because you're not doing justice. And like, oh, you got to be kidding me. And for 40 years, nothing he said seemed to make any sense because it didn't seem to, to fit. So as soon as you start saying, yeah, the church today in the West is really messed up and we've lost our way. I know thousands and thousands of people that go to churches that go, our church is great. You know, we love everybody. I'm like, you think you love everybody, but as soon as that person walks in, it's pretty obvious you don't love that person, right? The way we talk about uh, Muslims, the way we talk about immigrants, the way we talk about people who have sexual preferences other than ours pretty exemplifies that we actually don't love those people. We may not agree with them, but we are to love them. And so prophets are coming along, hey guys, that's not loving. And we start finding all the re reasons to justify ourselves and not listen to prophetic voices. So I think prophetic voices are out on the, out on the, on the extremity, calling us to a radical love of Christ, radical love of one another. And, and that becomes the basis of, uh, of where we start at. And then we go, yeah, I'm not sure I like this because now I'm going to become uncomfortable. So as we, as you proposed uh, today, you emailed me the question saying, Hey, I want to talk about this one. Mm -hmm. And as I've been thinking about it through the day, one thing that I was, I, I, I'm sitting on this, I'm processing this one, which was, so when we have our pastors who, how do I even want to phrase this? How much charity should we give and leeway yeah. should we give for the pastor who's 
they're doing a good yep. job on being a prophetic voice to some things, but not all things. Like, yep. like how, how high of a, obviously in a perfect world, everything is always going to be being peaked at, you know, yep. but you know, should we acknowledge the good things that some pastors are doing saying, okay, you're getting this, you're still missing some things, you know, Hey, praise God that they're doing at least hitting over there. How, 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 how should the yeah. congregant who's maybe getting riled up right now saying, but well, my pastor is not talking about X, Y, and Z, but yeah, but they're talking about A, B, and C. Yeah. So really difficult question. The first thing is this, neither one of us, nor should anyone else really be in this judgment of the pastor because they're in such a difficult spot. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, the pastor has to balance between feeding the sheep with as much as they can handle. And at the same time, not beating the sheep going, come on, you stupid idiots. What are you guys doing? Mm -hmm. uh, and trust me, you know, we all get in the pulpit one time every once in a while going, you know, I really want to say, come on, you stupid idiots. What are you guys doing? Mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. that doesn't do any good to anyone. And so that's not discipleship. That's not being pastoral, et cetera. The problem with that is, is that sometimes we become so concerned about, about, okay, if I go too far, right, you know, I can't say that because they can't handle that right now. And the answer mm -hmm. becomes, let's be honest, you're never going to say that because you're always going to respond by saying, well, they just can't handle it right now. Like, well, when's right now uh, ever going to be, you know, Martin Luther King had this massive quandary that he kept trying to get the white pastors in, in Birmingham and elsewhere to go, why don't you guys speak up? If you haven't read a, a letter from a Birmingham prison, mm -hmm. you need to, to read Martin Luther King Jr.'s letter from a Birmingham prison, but also read the letter that was sent to him to which he's replying. And I'm sure you can just do a Google search online. You know, white pastor sends a letter to Martin Luther King Jr. in Birmingham prison saying, Martin Luther King Jr., what are you doing here in Birmingham? You're in prison because we told you not to come. We have this handled. We're going to take care of it ourselves. And Martin Luther King Jr.'s answer is, when are you going to take care of this? And he says, I'm in Birmingham because injustice is in Birmingham. And, you know, justice delayed is justice denied, is this famous, famous saying. So there's this point where we have to say, yeah, every single one of us in pastoral ministry, we're afraid of actually going too far. Uh, it's a danger. It's a concern. I think most often we err on the not going too far at all side. Uh, and we, I think we err too much on that side. And then we justify it. And the answer is, well, they can't handle it right now. If I'm too abrasive, they'll leave the church. And then that won't do any good in, in, anyways. I can't disciple people when they don't even come. Um, or and if too many people don't come, we're going to close the church down. And I think we compromise that too much. But I, I think we have to give a lot, to answer your question, a lot of leeway. Because mm -hmm. the pastor's in a difficult situation. And there are some battles you can't fight right now. Because mm -hmm. if I fight that battle... I'm going to lose this one over here. I need to win this one over here first, and then let me fight that. That's that's valid, and it's it, it's good parenting, uh, mm -hmm. it's good business practices, and it's also sometimes even good pastoring. So even right there, in an exhortation to the pastor who might be listening, or anyone who's in ministry who has a position of influence, saying, "Yeah, you can't you can't blow everything up all the time, and mm -hmm. and you got to take baby steps. You can't pull the rug out from under someone and not give them a place of land. Like there's just wisdom that needs to be involved in there." Right for the pastor who's not doing anything because you, you know you're, you're kind of like the helicopter parent who just doesn't want your kid to fall and get hurt or anything it's like no you, you need to let people fall but you, yep. they can't be falling all the time on everything and right, so right. You, you encourage them say like hey pastor are you pushing your congregant on any issue right now right. are you trying to move the needle on anything or are you just in comfort land and you're not going to be able to move it on everything you can't do a through z but can you do a b c or x y z or lmn <laughs> like like what are the things that you're actually trying to address you know one of the things out there is this is we have big churches and we've touched on this a few times 
we have big churches out there. And I'm not saying that that's a problem. I'm saying, how did you get big? Mm -hmm. Did you get big because you forgot to tell everybody that, yeah, oh, by the way, you're supposed to, to take up your cross and follow Jesus. No, no, that's not a requirement for membership in our church. You know, it's a little bit too much, you know, that just did you confess in Jesus or not? You know, do you believe he's your personal savior? That's our membership code. Mm-hmm. When the call actually is no, Jesus himself said, I want you to, to join this church. You have to deny yourself, acknowledge he's the Lord, acknowledge him as your Lord and savior and say, I'm going to deny myself and I'm going to come into this church body and I'm going to serve one another. And I'm going to even put my own needs aside once in a while, because I know that you have my needs in, in mind and I have yours in mind. Are we calling people to the radical call to discipleship or not? Or are we just some, no, I want them to accept Jesus. And if I go too far, mm-hmm. folks, the gospel is not attractive. What's attractive? First century Roman world of Paul walking around saying, you got to believe in Jesus, this Jewish Messiah that Rome crucified over in Jerusalem. Like, why would I do that? You're crazy. You, you got to be a Jewish Messiah who was crucified by Rome because the Jewish people didn't like him and wanted Rome to kill him. And you want me, a Roman in Ephesus or a Roman in Corinth, to believe in him. The gospel itself is like, oh, yeah. And by the way, and when you believe in him, he might actually tell you to sell all you possess and come follow me. Because he does that sometimes. Uh, no. Yet we've softened the gospel so much to make it attractional. And I'm not saying that you can't have donuts. I'm not saying you can't have pizza at a youth event. Maybe we should have pizza more often, by the way. That's just my personal opinion. <laughs> but you, you, sure, no problem. But, you know, Jesus himself, the way I would look at it is this, is Jesus had thousands of people following him. So many, so much that he that he fed five thousand, and that might only be the men that were counted. So it might have been twelve thousand, including or more women and children. Thousands of people following him for days. Hey guys, these people have been moving me for days, and they got nothing to eat. Let's we can't send them home empty-handed. Let's feed them. And yet at the end, when he dies, rises again, ascends into heaven, and sends the Holy Spirit, there's one hundred and twenty in the upper room. That's it. Now there might have been a few others hanging out. Joseph of Arimathea might not have been in the room. Nicodemus. There might have been a few others. What happened? Well, the 5,000 plus left because they fi- they figured out, oh, he really does mean this take up your cross thing. I thought that was just something nice. And no, he really means that. I have to suffer to follow him. Uh, no, I'm not into this. Oh, he really does mean I have to go sell my property and give to the, to the poor. Yeah, you know, I worked hard for this and these guys haven't worked hard and it's not my fault they're lazy. It's not my fault they live the way you know, they're crying, they're, they're criminals. Not my fault. And so- as soon as they found out Jesus really meant those things, they were out. Mm-hmm. And I don't think most of our churches are preaching that. And I just think, and I think, so the question is, where are the prophetic voices today? And one of the things I say, well, they're out there, but we don't listen to them because we don't allow them into our buildings. We don't allow them. We don't read their books. And when they are in our churches, we get rid of them. Yeah, that's too much, too radical. Our people can't handle that. And I can say this because I, one of my, one of the things I do here with Determined Truth is I mentor pastors. And I know pastors that are going through this problem right now. They're like, I am so frustrated. I want to do this. And the leadership of the church won't let me. They, they're like, no, no, we can't. We can't. That's just too much. And well, when is it ever going to be not too much? I, another thing I'd say to the question is, where are they? I'm like, I don't think you actually really want to know where they're at. I mean, you probably do, but you better be ready. Because once you find them, they're going to be saying things that you're not going to like. 
and I'm going to make you uncomfortable and we better be, be ready for that. Yeah. There's a, a phrase that I heard years ago that I think is so appropriate. It says, uh, what you win them with is what you win them to. Yeah. And, uh, and, and with churches, especially when it comes to larger churches, I mean, you get large for a reason, right? And there yeah. comes a point where you have to just sustain that, right? Exactly. Like we, we have bills now we're on the hook for salaries and, and multi-million dollar budgets and these sorts of things. Yeah. And, um, and like, I, I, I'm employed by a church that is one of those. And, uh, you know, so I, I'm not, I'm not being passive aggressive and critiquing, critiquing my church because while yeah. it's not perfect, uh, I very much appreciate the integrity that they have and all things. And especially where numbers, uh, you know, bodies, however many you know people attending, that's, that's not one of the metrics we use to determine if something's successful. It's a, it's a data point to know, Hey, are we reaching anyone? But right, it's, sure. it's not at all one of going to be one of the top 10 questions you're asked about yeah. your event. I think it's central. It's vital that pastors not know who gives and who gives mm-hmm. how much, mm-hmm. because you can't allow, Oh, if I say this, I know their political view, they're going to get offended yep. and they give a lot of money and we need, you can't do that. You can't allow that to happen. And if you do know, you can't allow that to be a barometer. Um, the scriptures are really clear. You know, James 2, if the rich comes in and you favor them and the poor comes in, you're like, hey, don't, you can't do that. But we do. And we do because I like my job. I want to keep it. And, and so we, we, we justify like, well, they just can't let now I'll get there someday. I'm leading them on a path. Uh, one quick anecdote. I had a, an experience during one of my years in ministry where a tough decision had to be made. And I knew that some people were going to like it. And the Lord spoke to me over the course of, how do we know God's will? Over the course of a couple of days of processing and and thinking and dwelling and and, and whatever. And the Lord said, Rob, this is one of the things that you don't like about ministry. You want everyone to like you, you want everyone to follow you. He says, but some of the people aren't going to follow. You want to get behind the sheep and push them all up the path. And, And the Lord just said to me, he says, Rob, some of those people aren't going to go up the path at all. And because you're circling behind the sheep and trying to push them up, some of the ones that are at the front of the line that want to be led, you're not leading them. Mm. He said, Rob, just step out and lead the sheep and know that some of them are going to fall off the path. And that's, that's tough. That's not easy to do, especially when you're passionate because you love the people and you don't want to see them fall off the path. But you know what? There are some people, they probably should leave our churches. They, sh- they mm-hmm. should. And I'm sorry if they go to another church and because they're just going to bring their problems with them to that one. And that, that's, that's a shame, but somebody has yeah. got to speak to them. What, let's, let's just leave it there. Cause I think that's yeah. a great way to, to close it out. We've been, we've been for a while anyway, but uh, Hey, three topics. We, we were able to get more than 30 minutes out of it, which is yeah. what your prediction was. Yeah. Yeah. And we, <laughs> and we raised probably seven other questions too. So we'll have some more episodes on this in the future. So thank you. Vinny, exactly. Yeah. So send, send in your questions. If, if, if this brought up something else like in i mean we touched on a lot of a lot of things today uh and so and we're not always going to do theological things so this is it's kind of fun to, to, to kind of dip into this every once in a while but uh hey great fun uh tonight on this talk rob and uh we'll be back next week and we had some really cool series coming up uh some cool guests that we're going to be interviewing uh from a wide variety of of spectrums and stories so uh make sure that you continue to like and subscribe make sure that you get those notifications and leave reviews we have like no reviews right now so if you listen to this please you know in itunes or whatever hit that hit that like button and uh, write a review thank you for listening to today's podcast please subscribe to and like our podcast you can follow rob's blog at determinedtruth.com or purchase his books on amazon.com see you next time